Father, we thank you for preparing hearts and minds and lives and let everything be accomplished through this preaching of the word that you will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have any notes tonight. Just follow me. I'm going to talk about... I've been doing a series on revival and I, I was planning on doing another part of that tonight. And listen, we're going to flow tonight in intercession. The Holy Spirit has moved really powerfully that way tonight and, and I feel there's going to be a flow of that throughout the night. But I want to just take a moment. I mean, you can stay where you're at if you want to, however you want to posture yourself. I'm not going to talk as long as I normally do. But I have a sermon tonight God's laid on my heart. And in this word tonight, I had a real burden for America come on me. And I feel that something is up. I don't know what. But let me start by just saying a few things. I feel that this is for those a part of this ministry, but I, I have been feeling that we're right at the place of a turning point in the ministry. I feel that we are leaving an old season behind and moving into a new season spiritually. And it's significant. And I feel that as we're moving into this new season, that God's going to begin to do some new things. I feel that there's a new level of fire the Lord said He's bringing into our midst. And I feel it beginning tonight. He said that the fire, the Lord told me the fire that's coming into our midst would be a fire that would burn up stubborn issues in people's lives. And <clears throat> I feel we're moving into a new season where things that we've been praying about are going to start unfolding like never before. And as we're transitioning tonight, I felt that God put on put the series I was doing, He kind of put it on hold. And the sermon, I don't know why He had me speak on this, but something must be up in our nation. Let me say one more thing and I'll jump into this. But last night, this, this ministry that went out on the streets, I, I heard it was amazing. And I wanted, uh, Sandy and I, we were going to join you guys out there for a little while, but as I was about to go, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I'm sharing this for a reason because I feel like that people need to hear this to understand sometimes the spiritual aspect of what's going on. So the Lord spoke to me and um, He showed me in a vision, He showed me the high school here and the spirit that's over that school. And primarily what people, whenever we go out on the streets on Friday night and do witnessing, Primarily, a lot of the target is the young people, not necessarily everybody. But I felt really strong in my spirit that I was to go there, and Sandy and I went there, and we prayed. And as we prayed, I could see this spirit over that school, and it was as though it had tentacles that went out throughout the city into the minds of the young people throughout the city. And as Sandy and I prayed and we broke that, it was like those tentacles were broken and I knew that it would help to break open the mindsets of young people that were going to be witnessed to that night on the streets. 
And of course, we went from there, we went to another place, and I was able to, we were able to share our faith there some. But you know, there's a real spiritual war that's going on behind the scenes. A lot more real than what people could ever imagine. And there's a war that's going on over our nation. I believe with all my heart that God is about to send a major awakening in our nation. And I'm not talking about revival, I'm talking about an awakening. There's a big difference because revival is, is a move of God, okay? But it's a move of God that is not necessarily going to change the entire landscape of the nation. But when you're dealing with an awakening, you're dealing with the nation really being impacted. And I believe with all my heart that we are going to see over the next couple of decades um, a major great awakening that's already begun that's going to sweep this nation. And as the prophecies have been spoken, you know, Dr. Cho prophesied in 93 that, you know, it was starting Pensacola, <clears throat> moved 50 miles west, then Louisiana, then up the east coast, across the nation. Eventually it would end up in the Pacific Northwest, and when it did, all of America would be ablaze. And Ruth Ward Heflin saw that day and saw Dallas, Texas was the hub of the revival. There was a man by the name of John McTurnan. He wrote a book called God's Final Warning to America. He's written some other books. There's also, a new, that's an older book, but there's a new book by Jonathan Kahn. His last name is C-A-H-N. It's called The Harbinger. And in these books, they're dealing with national issues and how God responds on a national level, how God is responding to different things that's going on in our nation. And I feel very strongly on me tonight a burden. I'm normally a little more chipper while I'm preaching, but I feel a real burden. I feel a weight tonight, a burden for this nation. Something's up, and I felt tonight this the Holy Spirit command in a way of intercession and so I want to be sensitive to that because the Holy Spirit moved after worship and intercession and we're going to go back into that at the end of the after I preach but the Bible says that what we what we reap is what we're going to sow and it's so important to understand let me say this even about individuals there's times in your life that you're going to be burned and wronged by people and that happens to everybody you know, a knife in the back or whatever. But it's so important that you respond with righteousness because whatever you sow, that is going to be what you reap. So if, you're, if somebody wrongs you and they sin against you in any way, and then you come back and you respond in an ungodly way toward them, not only will God have to discipline that person that wronged you, but He'll have to discipline you too because you're doing the same thing back to Him that they did to you. If they're running you down and slandering you, then you've got to turn the other cheek. Because if you start running them down and slandering them, then you're no better. And God's going to have to deal with that sin in you too. What people got to understand is, once things are sown out there, it goes into the soil, it's planted, and there's a coming harvest where you're going to reap whatever you sow. If you sow righteousness, you'll reap righteousness. That's why I've told people sometimes that I've been able to speak into their life whenever they go through a betrayal, they go through something, I tell them, then you better be careful. Because that God will deal with that person however He needs to deal with them. 
But you've got to make sure that you forgive them and that you're praying for them and you're blessing them and you're doing the right things because if you don't and you respond to that in an evil way, then God will have to bring you under judgment deal with you as well. Now the judgment of God is, I'm not talking about the wrath of God, I'm talking about a father disciplining his children. There's a difference. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, God disciplines those he loves. Amen? So the main scripture I'm going to be taking tonight is Galatians 6-7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So whether it's individual, whether it's a national thing, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Now when you're dealing with vicarious repentance, I'm going to deal with some things throughout the night that maybe you haven't heard before. But vicarious repentance brings protection. See, what you've got to understand is this nation, right now, the Bible says the land will vomit out its inhabitants. Leviticus 8.28 says, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it did the nations that were before you. It's talking to the children of Israel. And see, there's certain things, there's, there's principles of God that are set in motion. You know, people view God as... Somebody that's up there with, you know, a big combat boot just waiting to squish people whenever they do wrong. And that's not it at all. God has set things in motion. And when you do things, when you make decisions that are righteous decisions and you do right, you reap the blessings of that. But when you make decisions that are sinful and wrong and evil, you reap the curses that are connected to that. And that's the way it is. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in good luck and bad luck. I don't believe in that at all. But I do believe the Bible talks about blessings and curses. And what you do is connected to blessings and curses. And there's certain things in the Bible that show that, that will bring about, when people are doing these things, it brings about curses. It brings about defilement. And it brings about judgment. Some of these things are, are sexual sins, especially homosexuality, but any sexual sins brings about the judgment of God. Idolatry and the occult, the dark arts, bring out God's judgment. Shedding innocent blood brings out God's judgment. And when you're dealing with abortion, you're definitely talking about murdering and shedding innocent blood. And then we know that how you respond to Israel determines how God responds to you. So I'm going to show some of this tonight. But let me go back to vicarious repentance. See, whenever people, whenever the nation is allowing sexual perversions, okay, it's bringing about curses and it's bringing about judgment on the land. Because people reap what they sow. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a principle. People reap what they sow. And what I'm here to encourage you is this. We need to get out and make a difference and vote righteousness. But I'm going to tell you that you better vote righteousness because if you vote and you align yourself that you know that a particular presidential candidate, you know that they're for abortion and you know that they're for things like homosexual activity, homosexual marriage and different things that are sinful in God's eyes, and you know that, and you vote for them, 
the curses that are coming on the land, the curses that are coming on that president, will also come on those that help put him in office. Do you see what I'm saying? You're participating. And so God, once we go to the Lord, there's a principle in the Bible about vicarious repentance, which is where you're coming to God on behalf of the land. There's something so powerful about that. See, when you confess your sin, God washes you. And there's something powerful about confessing the sins of your fathers, your ancestors, your family. That will lift off of you generational curses. Also, there's something so powerful about confessing the sins of the land. That will help to lift off of you anything that's on this land, on this nation. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you some things tonight that you probably have never thought about. But God wants us to be protected in these last days. Listen, what you reap what you sow. In America's history, the roaring 20s, a time where people were living very loose, led into the Great Depression and the crash of the stock market of the 30s. And it seems to me that God is amping up His judgments in America as warnings for these last days. I believe that something shifted at 9-11. You see, before 9-11, God really poured out His Spirit in Pensacola and began to, to preach the Word of God through that revival on a very widespread level. And there are many that responded, but there are many that didn't respond to the call of repentance. And because of that, because of the lack of repentance, 9-11 happened. Now let me reiterate this. I do not necessarily believe that God's up there and He's... Every time something happens, He is throwing down a response. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. Whenever people sin, there is an automatic backlash of curses and judgment that come with the sin. Does that make sense? There's, there's principles that are set in motion. But it seems that the judgments of God are amping up. And God, for the last couple of decades, has really been cleaning house among His people. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And you could see that back with the evangelists of the late 80s that were exposed. And, and others that were exposed. God has began something. But let me show you how this sowing and reaping works. October the 19th in 1987, the stock market dropped. It was suddenly and without warning. It dropped over 500 points. It was the greatest one-day drop in American history. The stock market lost 22.6% of its market value. There was an estimated loss of over $500 billion. By comparison of the crash of the depression, which was only 12%, we're dealing with 22.6%. Eight days before this crash, on October the 11th, the largest gathering of homosexuals took place in Washington, D.C. The newspaper reported that over 500,000 were marching. The march was, in their eyes, to try to end discrimination against them and to fund AIDS research. 
the signs that they held up proudly walking around with their signs held up some of them said I'm gay and proud others said thank God I'm gay others said condoms not condemnation God answered that March eight days later interesting the US market was at a great high before it had that crash it was doing great but after the march, the stock market was growing the fastest rate it had ever grown and crashed without any warning or explanation. October 12, 1989. Now we're dealing with sexual sins. U.S. national headlines recorded the U.S. government. Now we're dealing with abortion too. The U.S. government had supplied funds for a poor woman to have an abortion. On the same day, the Florida legislator, leg, legislator refuses to pass any laws restricting abortion. Now what you got to understand, back then, the states definitely had the right to be able to pass restrictions. Okay, let me show you. In 1989, the Supreme Court in Webster versus Reproductive Health Services ruled that states could restrict abortion. Florida was the first state to attempt to restrict abortions. The governor promised to sign into, any, into law any restrictions the legislature would pass. This is 1989. And the nation watched on because this had never been... They knew that however Florida responded, however that governor responded, they knew that it would have national implications. So the nation was watching how he was going to handle the situation and he had already promised that he would sign into law whatever the legislator wrote up to be restrictions against abortion. The governor's failure to pass any restrictions was seen as a great victory for pro-abortion advocates. Immediately following this the stock market crashed again falling 190 points in one day. Back then that was 7%. It actually occurred just one hour at the close of the market business day. That very day, Florida refused to deal with abortion properly. It was the 12th greatest crash in American history at that time. Now look at how this plays out. Two days later, the governors of 10 different states urged the Supreme Court to strike down an Illinois law restricting abortion. This had implications that started spreading out to other, other states. The governors were from, they, they said, I'm sorry, they signed a friend of the court brief claiming the law would impose extremely burdensome requirements on abortion clinics. The governors were from these states, Colorado, Vermont, Maine, Michigan, Ohio, Alaska, New York, Massachusetts, Washington, and Oregon. There was a huge pro-abortion rally that took place in San Francisco on that day. Crowds estimated at 50,000 people. The newspapers reported the event was festive and came after several pro-abortion victories. What began in Florida spread and now in San Francisco, 50,000 people. The newspaper reported the event. Listen, it described the event as people marching to the drumbeat and chanting, hear our voice, we are pro-choice. The rally was around City Hall where many pro-abortion politicians addressed the crowd. God's response? Just two days after this rally celebrating, the rally celebrating the murdering of innocent children, an earthquake struck San Francisco, 7.1 magnitude. It was the fifth most powerful earthquake this century to hit America. 
the quake struck during a World Series ball game and was broadcast alive to the nation. Literally millions of Americans watched as this earthquake hit. Ironically, the San Francisco Herald reported about this earthquake that it shook City Hall. We're talking about sowing and reaping. There's hundreds of these stories. Hundreds. I'm just giving you a few to give you an example. In 1993, Gay Pride Day during the late winter and entire spring, well sorry, Gay Pride Day took place, but during the late winter and early spring, rains fell that caused the Mississippi and Missouri rivers to rise to flood stage. And some of you guys may remember some of this. By mid-June, the rivers were at such a state it was shut down for usage. The flooding took place on the weekend of Gay Pride Parade. The greatest flood America has seen took place on Great Pride Day. It was stated that from the air, it looked like the Great Lakes had moved down to the middle of America. It caused $15 billion worth of damage. Gay Pride Day of 1992 resulted in a massive earthquake, and Gay Pride Day of 93 resulted in a flood that caused billions of dollars in damage. In 1994, I'm going to get to some about Israel as well. In 1994, in Los Angeles, was rocked by a powerful 6.8 quake. It was centered in Northridge, about 25 miles from downtown Los Angeles. It was so powerful, it caused an estimated $25 billion in damage. Caused widespread destruction. Listen to this, it was so powerful that it caused the Susanna Mountains to rise one foot. Interesting about this quake, scientists can't find the fault line to this day. The quake, they said, looked like the ground was thrust upward and then was hit sideways like a one-two punch. And they can't find the fault line. The quake happened one day after the Sanctity of Life Sunday and five days before the 21st anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Now in this area of the nation, estimated back in 2003 that 310,000 babies are aborted in Southern California every year. Northridge is part of the pornography center of America. Over 80% of all the video pornography made is made in Northridge. The earthquake destroyed the pornography center in Northridge as it was located just five miles from the epicenter of the quake. The porn industry was crippled and the quake closed nine abortion centers. See what the sanctity of life is, is a Christian response that the churches begin to pray and intercede about abortion. And here they were praying and interceding at this time, and it was right at the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, here they were praying and interceding, and then this earthquake hits this area. January 1998, Bill Clinton was inaugurated as president for a second term. He immediately signed documents on the 12th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, which reversed restrictions on abortion and signed papers for homosexual rights. I mean, right as he was put in office, he immediately, just like Obama did, began to veto and lift every ban that he possibly could on abortion. 
Now listen to this. Bill Clinton, as the president, sent a letter to congratulate Gay Pride Day, which had a motto that you can sin tonight and repent tomorrow. That was their motto. At the Gay Pride Day, there were live strippers, seductive dancers, and there was public sadomasochism. The Christians were grieved about what was going on because in Orlando, now Disney had allowed Gay Day there. So the Christians began to gather and pray. The homosexual flag was flown around City Hall, which is a rainbow. It remained up the whole month of June. Christians that tried to warn City Hall were laughed at. The Christians gathered at Barnes and Nobles to pray against ungodly literature and in front of Disney to pray against the homosexual agenda. 2.30 p.m. on June the 6th, after this event, fires broke out in, in Florida. Now see, there had already been some fires going on that were contained before that, and it, it wasn't even newsworthy really. But after the Christians had prayed, and after they were mocked and made fun of, and there was no repentance... It says, for the rest of the month of June, these fires exploded. Over 2,000 fires burned over 500,000 acres, destroying 300 houses. One billion dollars lost in crops and a drought set over Florida. Gay Pride Day ended with a, quote, what they called a gospel brunch on June the 7th. And on June the 7th, the mayor had to declare a state of emergency and call in the National Guard to help mobilize fighting off those fires. Let me give you guys a couple more. January 21st, 1999, late that day, a series of powerful tornadoes roared across Arkansas and Tennessee. See, sometimes you see these things going on and, and you don't know why. But behind the scenes, there's things going on sometimes that we may not even know about. But whenever people that are over the country do things against Israel, they do things that, that are really, and I'm saying this in a loving way, but really just spitting in the face of God, just directly against His Word, there's repercussions that break out in the nation. But these tornadoes roared across Arkansas and Tennessee, a very powerful storm that did over $1 billion in damage. Have you noticed that all the, all the ones I've been quoting, you're looking at billions of dollars in damage. The previous record was 20 tornadoes in the state, but 38 hit Arkansas within 24 hours. The national record was 52. But in January of 99, there was 163, and the majority fell in Arkansas. The center of the storm was Little Rock. The governor mansion was in direct path of the storm. But see, here's what a lot of people don't know. A senator had made a plea. This was back when Clinton was about to be impeached. A senator had made a plea on the Senate floor for the president's impeachment charges, impeachment charges to be dismissed. This senator used Jesus' name to get a point across, but he did it in somewhat of a joking way, showing that nobody but Jesus is perfect. This senator, though, was somebody that had voted with Clinton on lifting partial 
birth abortion bans, and he had had a 100% voting record for abortion. How could he dare to use the Lord's name to get a point across? You see what I'm saying? Right after his speech, and I mean right after his speech, this powerful line of thunderstorms tore into this state. The meteorologist reported it was a strange storm for that time of year. 292 warnings took place, setting a record for warnings in our nation to take place for one storm. Now we've been dealing with abortions and homosexuality. Another thing that, that brings judgment of God big time is the occult. But let me just say this because I'm going to come back and tell you a little bit about Israel. Is this okay to give you guys some of this? Different tonight. Well, let me tell you, in dealing with the homosexual community, I love the way Michael Brown handled himself whenever Fire Church came under you know, a protest because this just happened, what, a week ago, I think? And when you're dealing with the homosexual community, you're dealing with people that are lost and they're hurting. And we know what the Bible says, but at the same time, let me say this. Our response, though, toward them needs to be a loving response. Because, see, God, God loves the people with all of His heart, even though He hates the sin. You know, And we can hate the sin, but love the people. And we need to have a loving response. If there's people that you work with, if there's people that you go to school with, whatever, that, that are homosexuals, you need to pray for them and love them and be kind to them. Because the last thing they need is Christian people treating them in a hateful way. That's only going to turn them off to God even more. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to show you the way Michael Brown and them, and this is the way I believe all of us need to handle these situations. So the homosexual community, they had just dealt with Chick-fil-A. Now, don't you think about the day and time we're living. The owner of Chick-fil-A says, all he said was, that I believe in traditional marriage between a man and a woman. That's all he said. He did not say that we won't hire a homosexual. He did not in any way indicate any type of discrimination against them. He didn't say anything more than his personal opinion was that marriage should be between a man and a woman, and that's it. Now, we're living in a day and time where that actually created an outrage. It's hard to believe that that would create an outrage, but it did. So, you know, it's been maybe a month or so, and the homosexual community decided to attack Michael Brown. Now, Michael Brown, he has a relative that used to be a practicing homosexual that became a Christian, and God delivered him from it, and now he's happily married and doing well, which there's a lot of stories out there like that. And so he's been going and he's been sharing from a Christian perspective, from a Christian perspective about homosexuality, and giving this testimony, and he's been doing it in a loving way. But the gay community has been very upset about it, and so they decided they would protest his church. So let me just read you the article out of Charisma Magazine. It says, Last week, Scott Volk, one of the pastoral leaders at Fire Church, received a call from the local police informing him that there was going to be a gay protest outside of their Sunday morning service. The leader of the protest announced on Facebook, we will meet just before service begins and protest as they gather. 
we will have a silent protest as their service is going to let them have it as they leave for the day. Or let them have it as they leave for the day. Remember, we will be peaceful and respectful, something they don't understand. See, he was, he was saying this against the Christians. So let me read that again. The leader of the homosexual community said, we will do a, a silent protest, but remember that these Christians, we're going to be peaceful and respectful at something they don't understand. So they're coming at it from this perspective, okay? And he said that the homosexuals, he was speaking to them, said, we're going to stand together as a community to show our love is stronger than their hate. So they're trying to portray Christians as being hateful just because we simply don't agree with their lifestyle. Okay? Which isn't, there's nothing true about it. Let me finish as I go through this because it's really interesting. In response, I wrote on my blog, this is the person writing the article, on behalf of Fire Church, I want to extend to you the warmest welcome and let you know that we are thrilled that you will be here with us on Sunday. We've been praying for you a long time. Now let me finish, because we should be responding in love. This has a good ending. As always, and this is what the, the writer was saying to the homosexual community, as always, you will only be met with love, kindness, and respect from the fire leadership and congregants. And we proclaim to you, once again, the amazing grace of God. Jesus died to save us from our sins. Whether you be heterosexual or homosexual alike, He died to save us from our sins. Amen? And only in Him can we find forgiveness, redemption, and transformation. Jesus alone is the healer, savior, deliverer, and transformer. And so this person says on his radio show, he also encouraged them to come in good numbers. <laughs> so that we could greet them. And the pastoral staff, his name was Scott, he posted a note on QNotes, a local gay website that had announced the protest saying, as the pastor of Fire Church, I just want you to know, that you'll be greeted with the same love and compassion as we always endeavor to show at anyone. You are more than welcome to come. You make mention of the hate that we show. Yet, in all the years here, we've only had a desire to reach out with love to everyone in the local community, whether you are labeled as gay or straight. Hopefully, you'll see that love demonstrated on Sunday as you protest. Now, not surprisingly, here was some of the responses from the homosexual community. I'm just reading it as it was. A man by the name of David responded to them and said, Love is the most disfigured mask that hate wears. A lady by the name of Sue said, If what you think is reaching out in love is perceived as a hateful attack, perhaps you should reconsider your actions. A man by the name of David said, You can fool yourself, Mr. Volk. You can fool your parishioners, but you can't fool God. He knows what's in your heart and isn't love. It's full of hate. <laughs> a man by the name of Tom said that what these fire church people probably don't understand is that spending an eternity anywhere with them would be what I consider to be a true hell. They, can, they should concern themselves with their own pathetic lives and leave others alone. Now, let me finish, because this has a good ending. So the pastor there, his name is Scott Volk, responded by inviting them to his home for dinner and to spend the night with him and his family. Now, this is a loving response, okay? Seriously. And we, we need to really listen to what they did, because this is a good example of how Christians should respond. There's just no reason to get into a fighting debate about it. Because honestly, they know what we believe already about it being a sin anyway. So hammering them isn't going to make that much of a difference. All right. So 
The pastor responded to them and he said, To call someone hateful without ever meeting them, seeing them, or hearing them speak is an indication of a heart that needs love. And I make myself available. So on Sunday morning, August the 26th, about 10 protesters showed up. And the fire church said that they were disappointed that there was so few. They wanted more people to come. And some of our fire leaders met with them, offering them water, snacks, sharing God's love and truth with them, and then inviting them to join us in the service. After a few minutes, they left explaining that we were too nice and loving to deserve a protest. Bear in mind that these protesters know the stands that we've taken for biblical values. And some of them, as some of them have listened to the radio broadcast and, and read the writings. So they recognize how strongly we differ on many key issues. Yet, they also recognized our genuine love for them and saw that we were not full of hate, that we were full of the love of Jesus. Amen. That's a good example of how to respond to them. Because responding in a hateful way is not going to help them. But I said that to kind of balance out this sermon because there still are repercussions for the sin of homosexuality in the land. And there's repercussions for the sin of abortion. There's repercussions for the sin of witchcraft and the occult that's been in the land. And there's repercussions for the wrong way people have handled Israel. Now let me give you a couple about Israel. George Bush Sr. was originally the one who started Land for Peace in the Middle East. The, the disputed land is called the West Bank, Gaza, and the Golan Heights. The peace plan was involved in giving East Jerusalem away for peace. Now the book of Joel says, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance. My people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. So there's a judgment that comes from God about dividing up his land. The Gulf War ended in 1991. George Bush Sr. began to start his Middle East peace plan involving Israel and the Palestinians. The talks began in Madrid, Spain on October 30th, 1991. On October 30th, President Bush opened the talks by saying, For peace, Israel must give away land. Now, I just read to you in the Bible where it brings God's judgment. The very first thing the President does is says, You must give up land, Israel, for peace. At the very beginning of the talks, the land of Israel was the key topic. On October 30th, and also, now listen, as soon as the President began to try to pressure and force Israel to give up its land for the sake of peace to the Palestinians, and I'm not saying this in a mean way, but the Palestinians are notorious for being terrorists. And we're talking about, I believe it's Hamas. And there they are right on the border for all these years have been launching these rockets and it's total terrorism, okay? And for the president to try to give them land for peace. It really is a joke. But as soon as he began to open his mouth, and try to force Israel to give up land. Here's what happened. Here's God's response. On October 30th, an awesome storm developed off of Nova Scotia. The storm was never classified as a hurricane because it began so late in the season. The sustained winds only saw 73 miles per hour, but it was extremely rare because it traveled over 1,000 miles in an eastward to westward direction. The weather pattern for the U.S. is usually the opposite. 
The storm was also called extratropical because it did not originate in the tropics like most storms do. On October 31st, 1991, this fierce storm hit New England and was described as a monster. It was hundreds of miles wide. This storm was later called the perfect storm and they made a movie about it. The ocean waves were over 100 feet high, which was the highest ever recorded in America's history that we know of. The storm harmed the entire East Coast and struck, ironically struck the president's home in Maine. Eyewitnesses said that his home, that there were 30 foot waves that struck his house. He had to cancel the meeting to go home and inspect the damage. That's God's response for messing with Israel. See, when you're dealing with the church, you're dealing with grace, but when you're messing with Israel, you're still dealing with an eye for an eye. And when people touch Israel in the wrong way, it brings swift judgment. I mean swift judgment from God. Let me give you a few more. August 23, 1992. Hurricane Andrew was the result of these same talks that were moved to Washington. This happened the same day as the talks took place. It had over 175 mile hour winds and caused massive damage. Some of you remember Hurricane Andrew. January 21st, 1998, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu met with President Clinton. Once again, another president was discussing giving up land for peace, pressuring Netanyahu to give up the land. And shortly after Clinton was pressuring him and trying to force him into doing it, a sex scandal broke out about Clinton and he became engulfed with dealing with that scandal. Even though I liked President uh, George W. Bush, one of the mistakes he made was messing with Israel. He gave land for peace. You Many of you guys remember him giving up the Gaza Strip in Israel. He was a good president in many ways, but he, he didn't do well with Israel. And he gave up the Gaza Strip for peace. The result of that was what we know as Katrina. And it really rocked his presidency. Amen? And you could see on the Gaza Strip, you could see people on their rooftops that were being brought out of there. And when you looked at Katrina and you looked back at the footage, you saw people on their rooftops having to be rescued off their rooftops. The Bible says an eye for an eye when you're dealing with Israel. In California, where the battle over same-sex, and then we'll go back to this, and I'm going to close with this. In California, where the battle over same-sex marriage has waxed long and intense, in a milestone event, the state Supreme Court, this is May of 2008, mandated government approval of same-sex marriage to go into effect June 16th at 5.01 p.m. Four days later, on June the 20th, dry thunderstorms and lightning rarely seen on the California coastline in June rolled in, the storm unleashed 25,000 to 26,000 dry lightning strikes across northern and central California, igniting over 2,000 fires. I remember Schwarzenegger had no idea what to do. And what do you do? The area burned, reaching over 801,000 acres, making those wildfires in 2008 the greatest wildfires in California history. Listen. I just gave you a few. There's hundreds and hundreds of these stories. I gave you a few just to give you an example of God's response. But I feel in my heart a burden. God loves sinners, and he, but He hates the sin. 
He loves sinful people. He's drawing them unto Him. But we've got to understand that there is a sowing and reaping going on with our nation. And let me tell you a few quick things that are concerning me and then we're going to pray. I love in the Lord, okay? I love and pray for, for people. I love and pray for our president. But I'm going to tell you some things that concern me. Out of respect for his office, I said out of respect for his office, I choose my words carefully and with respect toward him as the president, okay? But as a man of God and as a preacher, I've got to preach the truth. When he started to come into office, people began to herald him as some kind of a messiah. And he never denounced it. Let me tell you something. The rise of the Antichrist cannot be that far off if even in America people were that quick to herald somebody like him as some kind of Messiah? Did you ever think in your lifetime you would see something that ridiculous? And what concerned me was that he never denounced it. Somebody, I love, I love him and I pray for him, but I say this with love and respect. You can look back through presidential history and you can see that even people that weren't really godly and honorable, even Clinton, you could see the hand of God on them because of their office. To be quite honest with you, I don't really see the hand of God on, on President Obama. You could see on his um, predecessor, you could see on George W. Bush, you could see the blessings of God on his life. I don't see God's blessings on President Obama. And I don't see godly wisdom. I'm just telling it like it is. I love him and I pray for him. But I don't see those things and it concerns me. Because there's people praying and you should see those things in his life. I knew when he took office and I wrote this out and I sent it out to the people in the congregation. But I knew that he would be very pro-abortion. The very first thing he did when he took office, and I mean the first thing he did, was to lift every ban that President Bush had put on abortion that he possibly could. I mean, that was a number one priority to him. He, was pro he has proven to be very pro-homosexual. He is the first American president that has ever publicly took a stand for homosexual marriage. Ever. And he has proven to not be pro-Israel, in my opinion. I don't see it. Previous presidents were. And when President Obama made the statement that Israel should return to their 67 borders, I knew in my heart that he was really opening a floodgate there, not only for himself, but in a negative way for our nation. The secular liberal media hated George W. Bush and crucified him every day he was in office. They love Obama because, of he's, because he's so liberal and so they don't do that to him. But God will have the final say so. Amen? God raises up and pulls down. And what concerns me is I don't like talking a lot about politics from the pulpit. I like to preach God's word and leave it at that. But I felt the Lord wanted me to talk about some of these things. We need to pray because I don't know if this nation really needs another four years like we just had. You do realize that Obamacare 
is a nightmare and that it try one of the things it's trying to force tax dollars your money tax dollars to fund abortion that's just one of the problems when Obama came into office and he began to mess with things I had a the Lord showed me a vision I saw London if you know anything about England England is very big government control and their economy is not good and I felt the Lord warning me that that was the direction that it was trying to go was very big government control with a weak economy and that's what you're seeing so let me bring this thing around and close out with this you can see that Satan always tries to attack at the beginning Satan incited Pharaoh to kill all the male children right at Moses' birth remember that Satan knew something was up and he incited that Pharaoh to try to kill all those babies and he was trying to kill Moses that's what Satan was trying to do Pharaoh was just a puppet whenever Jesus was born Satan incited Herod to try to kill all the male children of that age he was trying Satan was trying to kill Jesus Herod was just his little puppet remember in Revelation that the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth remember to destroy the child as it came forth so Satan tries to kill things at its infancy state attack before blessing do you remember how right around the Balfour declaration and how Israel God began to woo Israel back to its homeland they were scattered among the nations for all those years scattered among the nations for approximately around 2,000 years but Bible prophecy said that Israel would become a nation again and so Bible prophecy has to be fulfilled so against all odds miraculously and I use that word it was a major miracle miraculously God drew the nation of Israel he drew the Jewish people back and gave them that land again even restoring back the original Hebrew there's, that has never happened in world history that we know of. That a nation has been able to be scattered and regathered like that is supernatural. But right as God began to move in this area, you see the Balfour Declaration took place and they began to gather. Right around that time frame, Satan wrote, chose, he chose Hitler and raised up somebody, incited somebody to try to slaughter as many Jewish people as possible. The same thing he did with Pharaoh in Egypt. The same thing he did with Herod. Now I said that because prophecy is clear that America is going to see a great awakening. But the devil's not going to sit back idly by and let it happen either. We're living in the last days and I believe some of the greatest spiritual warfare that has ever been is going to be in the last days. Are y'all hearing me? The enemy's not just going to sit by and let this great awakening happen without a major fight. And you can see the progression back in the 60s. You know, God really blessed America because we came in and helped deal with Hitler. Unfortunately, it took Pearl Harbor before America got a good swift kick in the pants. But nonetheless, America rose up and dealt with Hitler. Okay? 
And God, and because we blessed Israel like that and came in and helped, God really blessed America. I believe the 50s were some of the greatest days America's ever had. But you know what? Satan began to move in. And what you see began happening in the 60s was sex and drugs began to fill the land. Prayer was removed from school. Then you see in the 70s how abortion became legal through Roe versus Wade. In the 80s, homosexuality began to rise to public view with a militant agenda. And today, you see the influx of witchcraft and the occult sweeping through our nation, primarily through the media. And not only that, but thanks to our current president, our stance with Israel has been somewhat compromised. See, my mom and dad didn't raise no fool. And whenever President Obama made that statement about 1967 borders, it was the next day that I broke out our Constitution and bylaws as a ministry. And I wrote up something stating that we stood with Israel and we blessed Israel. I put it in writing, friend. And I had our elders sign it. And I put it in our Constitution and bylaws and I took up an offering for Israel because I'm no fool. And I knew when he did that that there was going to be repercussions on him as, as an individual. But there would be repercussions on the nation. And whenever you do something like that, God's going to honor and bless that. Amen? So here's a couple more things and we're going to pray tonight. Something moved over Dallas during the Katrina time frame. I don't know how many people discerned it. But me being a minister, five-fold minister here in this region, when Katrina happened and all those people, the refugees, began to move here for a time, something from New Orleans moved over here with them. And I discerned it. I discerned it come over like a black cloud. And I feel like we need to be aware of that. Now, why did Satan move something from New Orleans over Dallas? Because the prophecy is that Dallas would be the hub of revival. But even right now, Satan is trying to pass hate laws to silence Christian, Christians in America. So America is, is somewhat of a, still a light to the nations in many ways. And what Satan is trying to do is pass these hate laws making Christians look like a bunch of haters because we disagree with different things like abortion and homosexuality and different things. But if they would really look at it from a normal perspective, they would see that Christians love the homosexual people probably more than anybody else. But we just disagree with their lifestyle. And it's like something has come over the minds of people that has blinded them and deceived them to where they can't help but have like a hatred toward Christians. And the Bible says in the last days that we would see these things. Are you hearing me? Now in our area and in this region, I want to begin to pray tonight about not only our area, I'm going to pray for America, but in our region, one of the nation's largest homosexual churches, I believe it's pastored by a lesbian woman, is in Dallas.
Okay. We have one of the largest abortion clinics. I think it's located in Houston, but we also have them here. There's also sex trafficking that's going on in the Dallas area. What a lot of people don't realize is that I-35 starts down in Mexico area and goes all the way up to Canada. Did you ever think about that? So there's a lot of stuff that goes up I-35 through Dallas. There's also an Islam invasion into our area. <clears throat> there's a liberal antichrist agenda in our educational systems. That was an amen right there, y'all. Come on now. There is a liberal antichrist agenda in our educational systems. Amen. And what Satan is trying to do, he's trying to create a weak, seeker-friendly, watered-down, passive church. I don't know if you remember Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say a girly man. You remember that? He's trying to make the church be like a girly man that won't stand up and preach the truth. And not only that, the upcoming elections in November are going to have a lot to do with the next four years. We need to be praying. Because I know this prophecy about revival, a great awakening, is going to happen. But between now and the time America is ablaze in the fires of revival could be decades. And I'm telling you that Satan is going to be fighting this nation tooth and nail. And I, I'm serious when I say this. It's going to be serious. It's going to be serious. One of the things God showed me, I was praying for our nation. And during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, that was Israel's darkest time. That was Israel's darkest time. Queen Jezebel had gone through and slaughtered all the prophets that she could find. She had, had raised up asterisk poles, which were phallic symbols, and had filled the land with Baal worship. And if you look up Baal worship, this is some dark stuff. Okay, It's witchcraft, the occult. I mean, it's some dark, sexual, perverted stuff. This had filled the land. This was interesting. God showed me this. He showed me that for things to turn around in America. This is what I felt. I say this humbly. But the Lord showed me that God used Elijah to first pass a great anointing to Elisha. I believe the great anointing speaks of the revival that's coming. Number two, he was to anoint Jehu king over Israel. Now Jehu was a very militant, aggressive individual. You should read about him in 2 Kings 9. This guy had, I mean, he was a, a very seasoned military warrior who there was no such thing as playing games, okay? I mean, he was the guy that had Jezebel thrown out of a window and she splatted on the ground. He went and found all the sons of Ahab and had them slaughtered. He was very militant. And what the Lord put on my heart was that he was going to raise up and move in a way where people were tired of what's going on and it was almost like an aggressive militant attitude against the way things have been going and listen now you're starting to see over the last several years the rise of things like the tea party are you hearing me jehu was a a secular politician if you will 
You see what I'm saying? And you're seeing a move among even the secular people where God, because people are praying. I mean, Christians are praying that God is even allowing people that are not even Christians to become fed up with the way things are and want things to change. So you're seeing the move of Elisha with revival happening, but you're also seeing this move with Jehu of kind of a secular thing God's doing as well. Then, this is what concerned me. God had Elijah anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Hazael was the guy, though, that brought in the military from Aram. They came in and they really did a lot of damage to the people of Israel. And so what you saw was for, that na for the nation of Israel to be able to get from its darkest time to get back on track spiritually where it needed to be. It took a major revival through Elisha. It took God raising up a Jehu in the secular arena. And then it also took Israel's enemies coming in and doing some damage. But those three distinct moves that took place brought change in Israel and got them back on track. If we pray, a lot of things can be avoided. But don't be surprised if God doesn't allow some things to humble this nation. There needs to be a humbling. It's, it's a scary thing when God will send judgment and allow judgment. And then you've got people like, for example, during Katrina, there were people that got angry at the preachers that said it was a judgment of God. Well, of course it was a judgment of God. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out it was a judgment of God. Why did they get offended at a preacher saying that? Because they're so prideful and so too big for their britches, they can't even humble themselves and say that, you know, maybe we needed a spanking from God today. Are you hear what I'm saying? It's a scary thing when people get so arrogant that they can't even realize that maybe God would possibly judge us. You see what I'm saying? There, there's something off. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if God doesn't allow some things to help humble the people that need humbling in this nation. And again, I, I love our president in the Lord, but I don't believe that we need another four years of him. We need, we need to be praying because I'm going to tell you something, Satan's trying to do damage through him that could take a long time to fix. And I'm, I'm believing God to, and, I, and I, I love him in the Lord, but I'm believing God to do something in this nation. So what I want to do, that's what God put on my heart today. To show you guys about sowing and reaping. And to show you some things that are going to be coming. And I believe revival's coming, but we're going to have to pray. And I'll tell you something else. We need to really be praying for Israel. Because here just recently, you hear these Muslim nations rising up and saying ridiculous things. Have you ever thought about this? Here's Israel, a tiny little nation. You ever looked on a map? Okay, you guys ever looked at America and you've been like a small city, you're trying to find it, and you're going, where is this place? It's barely even on the map, you know, and you really got to look. I mean, Israel's this small little nation. They, they mind their own business. They're not going around launching rockets at anybody. They're just minding their own business. 
And you have to look at it and go in the natural, why in the world? It makes absolutely no sense. Why do these people want the destruction of this little nation? You know why? Because the Bible says Jesus is coming back there. That's why. And they may make threats, but they don't realize what they're messing with because they're not really messing with Israel. They think they are, but they're messing with God Almighty. And they're going to regret touching Israel that way. But they're making these statements like, what is it, Israel is a cancer that's got to be removed? Israel's probably the only thing in that area that's not a cancer. Let's just tell it like it is. Did you know around the time that America was formed? Did you know that our founding fathers prayed and dedicated this land to Christ? A lot of people don't know this, but Pat Robertson's great, 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 great granddaddy was actually a chaplain that came over here with Columbus in them. Isn't that cool? You see a generational blessing there. But around the time our founding fathers dedicated this nation to Christ, I want you to hear this. Haiti wanted to be free from French rule. And while we were dedicating our land to Christ, our founding fathers were, they made a pact with the devil that if Satan would throw off of them French rule, that they would give him the land. Have you ever looked at Haiti? Now listen, here's the interesting thing, because you can see how God's blessed America. Okay, If you look at Haiti, I mean, it's like an open sore, like, you know, uh, compared to what's around it, I mean, around it you have the Caribbean. I mean, it's beautiful. And then you have Haiti right in the middle there. See, when you give something to God or you give something to the devil, it's going to have long-term consequences. And they're reaping in Haiti what their forefathers did by making that pact with the devil. So what I want to do, this is a, man, I just feel a burden on me, a weight tonight. I want to shut down recordings. We can keep the live stream going, but please shut down recordings. And I want us 